Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper, episode 92. It's your old mate, DJ Payne here. And on this episode of Thrive Deeper, Matthew Jacoby and I sit down and we go through most of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, otherwise known as the Ten Commandments. This is where Moses is given the Ten Commandments. So where it feels to me a little bit like a countdown show. We're counting down the top ten today, but it's the Ten Commandments. Uh, we're going to go through that. Plus, we also cover some of your questions that have been coming into us. So we cover your a few of your questions, a few of your comments, and then straight into Exodus chapter 20, covering the Ten Commandments. So grab your Bible, grab a piece of paper and a pen and your copy of Thrive, and sit down with us on this week's episode as we go through the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. are you doing with, I don't know what to call it, the lockdown, the quarantine? Isolation. The isolation? Well, we've ensured, I would just, just, just to say here today, we have ensured that we are how many metres apart? About three, four metres apart? <laughs> yeah, we were uh, at one end of a end of a field. long table. <laughs> we, yeah, we have, uh, the, we put a video out last week of uh, us recording Thrive Perspectives and the number one comment was, you guys are too close to each other. Uh, I thought we were fairly well spaced, but yeah. that we we received that and yes. we are now spaced further apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm 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 going okay. I mean, uh, I'm I'm a little bit of an introvert anyway. Well, probably more than an introvert, introvert, and have a <laughs> tendency to be quite reclusive. Um, uh, it is driving my kids a little stir crazy, yeah. and they're driving us a little stir crazy. <laughs> Uh, but apart from that, we're going fine. I mean, oh, you know, we, we actually, what's great is that we're getting out for, we, we go for family walks. Yes. I mean, this is a great little tradition that this has started for us because yeah. we, we can tend to be quite disparate. Our kids are quite different. They go their separate ways and do their separate things. Yeah. Um, but we have actually started to do a lot, lot more thing, a lot more as a family, which has been great. You know, you know I'm going to put a little positive spin on this. One thing that I've heard from multiple people, and I apologise mm. in advance, this might not be the views of Matthew or anybody yeah, else, yeah. right? This is just DJ having a little uh, soapbox moment. I've heard from multiple people, both within the church and out of the church, from different mm. circles, uh, both in, you know, personally, professionally, different things. A lot of mums, single mums, professional working mums mm. with kids I've said, how are you doing? And they've gone, they sort of look over their shoulder. No one's looking. They go, you know what? This is excellent. I'm loving every minute of this. <laughs> I'm connecting with my children. I'm teaching. I'm homeschooling them. And I feel like I'm this wonderful housewife and there's so much joy in it. I never knew. I don't have to study. I don't have to work. I don't have to go into this. I'm doing all this stuff. It's so much fun. I'm connecting with my kids again. And I'm going, this might be a total positive upside. <laughs> Well, there, there are upsides. I mean, like I think it. I think it is. You know, obviously there is a. You know, I mean, there's a huge amount of things that uh, are really bad about this. Obviously, of course, of you course, know, goes without like, saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, but finding the upsides is an important little uh, little 
thing to hold on to really yeah. in the midst of this. You've got to find some upsides. You know, I think, um, yeah, I, I think uh, it remains to be seen what the long-term economic and lifestyle changes uh, are going to be like. We, But, um, you know, we've got to make sure that in the meantime we invest in the things that are important. And just remember those two who are a bit isolated, I think, and, mm. you know, particularly people who are single and uh, yeah. likely to be in their own and, uh, you know, we can still make contact with people. So, yeah, very interesting times. Yeah, yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Okay, Matt, for this episode, uh, we're going to cover some questions that have come in yeah. uh, via our website at thrivetoday.tv and also via the Facebook page and the Facebook group for Thrive Today and Thrive Deeper. Uh, so, firstly, a couple of nice words. Margaret got a hold of us and said that Thrive Today has given me a deeper understanding of the scriptures, especially the culture and the times of when they were written. And thank you so much for what you guys do on the podcast. So that's great, Margaret. Thank you. We we really appreciate that. Janet has got a hold of us and said, you know, this, uh, you know, the podcasts are adding to my Bible reading and bringing such a fresh perspective on everything. She said, Matthew, I totally love what you brought out of chapter three of Exodus regarding the burning bush. Since beginning the books and listening to the podcast, I found a new, fresh perspectives to Bible you know, to the books mm. of the Bible that I've read so many times before. Thank you for what you're doing in this space. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah, so thank you, Janet. Now, um, an actual question here. And again, I should mention, um, uh, we'll get into this question here. A uh, question from Chris. Uh, Chris says, listen, in Exodus 12, where God outlays what to do with the Passover lamb mm. and the whole Passover meal, he says, why does the lamb need to be roasted? There was to be no leftovers and the requirement is to tuck your cloak into your belt and have sandals on your feet, your staff on your hand, and to eat it in haste. He said, I'm trying to look at the bigger picture here or the symbolism of this Passover parts, but I can't see its relevance compared to the other symbolism in the Passover. Uh, Let me work backwards to that. So the tucking, you know, your coat in and... uh which was a, a way of getting ready for because they wore these long robes. It was a way of getting ready to travel with the staff in your hand, eat it in haste, because it was a transitory moment. The whole point of the Passover celebration is that it's you're in transition. You're you're leaving Egypt, uh, and it becomes this metaphor of salvation. And you're on the move, transformation, and the myriad of ways to apply that. But the idea there is, um, it's. That, that movement, you, you, you're moving, you're moving on. And so that became a, uh, a symbol of that. Same with the bread with, uh, without yeast. One, I mean, it's one aspect of that uh, is that it's, uh, it can be cooked quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, uh, the roasting part uh, I think is as simple as the fact that, well, roast lamb is edible whereas raw lamb isn't so <laughs> that's probably as, as simple as that. I'm not sure if there's much. Uh, I mean, it's a, I think it's a good question, but I don't think there's much more to that than the fact that that they had to consume it. Yeah, you know, it was um, something. I mean, you could read into a symbolism of it had the to be consumed, and 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 it's interesting that it had to be finished. I mean, the, and I think part of that is because the you know the pass there, there was a sort of sacredness to the Passover lamb, uh, a little bit for the same reason that. Uh, you know, Catholic priests after the mass they drink the remainder of the the wine in yes. the goblet because it's sacred. You know, it's th- th- there's a sacredness associated to that according to the Catholic tradition, and so I think probably that is 
is the idea there is that it needs to be fully consumed and not just chucked out because, because it actually represents okay. something yes. sacred. Yeah. That's a, yeah, okay, good. I'm, I, I, Chris, I hope that answers the question mm. there. Chris also gives us one la- another question mm. here that I think is, uh, you know, um, you know, really a lot of fun, I think, and, I'm, and I, haven't, I haven't told you okay. this one. This is going to spring on you. Um, he says, listen, I've, I've enjoyed so much going through Genesis and Exodus. Um, I love the character of Joseph. Mm. Uh, he says, because I'm an accountant and administrator, I think I see a lot of my, you know, he sees a lot of mm. himself in Joseph. He goes, you know what? I have to say that this is my favourite Old Testament Bible character. What one is yours? Oh, goodness. <laughs> well, the right answer is Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> but can you, can you answer that as an Old Testament Bible character? Uh, oh, okay, uh, uh, Old Testament. Yeah. Oh, gee. Um, uh, do I have a favourite? Mm. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, connect, I connect with David a lot. I think probably the one that I think about the most is David. Mm-hmm. And of course, with your work in, in the yeah, Psalms, yeah, that's and right. Uh, rewriting his music. So, you know? so I think I would say David is the one I identify with the most, and I actually mean identifying with. Like, there, I actually do find myself thinking about and identifying with David, and that that is partly because uh, I know so many of the Psalms off by heart, which are connected with are connected with uh, with David. One way or another. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, I, I, I would say my, that's a really, really hard question. It depends on the book that you're reading at the moment. Well, I who think. would be yours? I, I bounce around all over the place. But you know what? The person that I think of that sort of, I mean, Joseph is up there. There's something mm. beautiful about the story of Joseph mm. in, in, in the book of Genesis. But you know what? The book of Daniel and the life of Daniel, yeah. there's something about Daniel yeah. when he prays. And we yep. get his recorded prayers. Oh, mm. wee man, that man, that man was a. I'm looking. Look, I'll put it this way: when we get to heaven, mm. and there's the Old Testament saints there, I might yeah. be making a beeline yeah. for Daniel first. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's another question: is who who, who are we going to? Uh, yeah, who do we look forward to meeting the most? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody, of course. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and right now because we're going through the Book of Exodus, I'm like Moses. Yeah. <laughs> Moses is great. Now, one last, one last point yeah. here, and we've got a, a couple of questions, um, a couple of statements, a couple of you know comments of thing have come in, uh, and this is a little bleed over from Thrive Perspectives to Thrive Deeper. But I thought it was worth mentioning here. Mm. We've mentioned. And Thrive Perspectives, the author Richard Rawls mm. and some of the teaching when it comes Richard to- Richard Raw, yeah. Sorry, Richard Raw. Yeah, yeah. um, uh, I don't think I've ever heard it said out loud. I've only read it mm. before. Yeah. Uh, Richard Raw in his um, in his uh, universalism, basically, mm. to sum mm. up his worldview, uh, there's been a lot of questions. People have been reading his books yeah. um, and uh, there's a bit of confusion about what he stands on a few different things. So I think that might be an upcoming- Topic for us. Yeah, yeah. I think, it. look, in summary, I mean, what I've said is that there are a number of quite significant problems with uh, Richard Raw, not least to the fact that he basically throws out uh, all of the core uh, doctrines of the of the Christian faith, yeah. like core defining doctrines, you know, the yeah. atonement, yeah. the second, you know, the return of Christ. The, it's just like, uh, and uh, he, um, he advocates... Uh, a view called panentheism. He's a, he, um, as, I mean, it's 
quote from the Universal Christ. He calls himself a panentheist, which is problematic. And and I think the reason Uh, why he's having such a large cultural reach is uh, Oprah Winfrey is is a massive disciple of his and she's really... Sorry, who? Oprah Winfrey. Okay, yeah. yeah. Oprah is is a big disciple. She's, She's putting him on a lot of her you know, networks and everything like that. She's really pushing an agenda there with him. Yeah, uh, yeah it's very, I mean, it's it's a very palatable uh, kind of worldview to a, in a postmodern, uh, in a postmodern setting. Uh, he, he, you know, it's, it's, has his, his views have more to, more akin with um, Eastern religion than they do with Christianity. I mean, he, he draws a lot from Trinitarian theology Um but yeah, there's there's some you know there's some significant as Christians holding to a Christian worldview. Yeah. there's some significant problems, Issues. particularly yeah. So anyway, so yes, I, I think I think that would be worth yeah. um, given his. I mean, I mentioned it in an episode a while ago because I just keep hearing people. I keep hearing him mentioned. Yeah, uh, you know, I mentioned it in a class uh, at Melbourne School of Theology recently, and you know, a couple of students said to me, "Oh, gee, I've been reading." You know Richard Raw. I mean, like, and and there's some of his stuff. Look, I'm I'm used to cherry picking, so you know, I, I take stuff from everywhere. You know, um, uh, but what happens is that when you read someone who just says so many great things and really, you know, there's a lot of wisdom, and you can yep. then just drawn get drawn into everything. Mm. And and it's not just a matter of saying, well, no one's perfect, so I guess we can. No, no, no. This is someone who I think is actually throwing out the core elements of the Christian faith. Yeah, yeah. All right, so if you've got quest- if you've read those books, if you've got friends who are reading those books or recommending them to you, please head over to thrivetoday.tv, drop us a line, drop us your questions, uh, any thoughts. Uh, even Let's even go one step further. If you want to challenge Matt and you've read something... Sure. Absolutely. If you've read something of Richard Raw's where you've gone, um, you know, actually I've got a lot out of that, please let us know what you've got out of it. You know, we'd love to have a discussion with you around it on an upcoming episode of Thrive Perspectives. So go sign up and get that one. Uh, Our last episode that we did uh, talking about a Christian's response to COVID-19, what we're going through at the moment, um, uh, huge. It got downloaded a lot. Yeah, you know, good. So. Yeah, well, you know, again, just to finish off that topic, I mean, I got a lot out of reading his, his stuff as well. But you know, I got I got a lot out of reading Freud's introductory lectures, psychoanalysis, and yeah. other things, and he's an atheist. So, so yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, you know, I'm pretty open minded. So, but let, let's let's do an episode on yeah. that. Okay. Well, let's let's uh, that's all the uh, you know uh, behind the scenes stuff we had to get done. All the uh, housekeeping here. Now, let's actually get into this episode of Thrive. Deeper, we're in Exodus mm. chapter 20. We left off the Israelites, Moses and the Israelites, at the foot of Mount Sinai. God had descended onto it. Mm. Uh, there are elders involved, there are ropes around it, they're marking yep. things off. And God is saying to uh, Moses, You and Aaron come back up the mountain. I've got something to give them. Yeah, and, uh, and so he gives them the Ten Commandments. So we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. Uh, today and we'll we'll just tackle these one by one. Now, what we're going to do uh, with this episode is we'll f- focus on the Ten Commandments, and then the next episode we'll go into the laws. Now, um, uh, it it actually is really interesting. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the laws. This is a lot of people read the laws and just some people think 
just skim over it because yeah. blah, 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 blah. A lot of other people are very disturbed by the laws mm. because they seem very archaic and, well, yeah, they come from an ancient world. But it's a really interesting exercise to compare the biblical laws to, for example, ancient laws of uh, the laws of Hammur- the Hammurabi Code or ancient Hittite laws or uh, Babylonian laws. So um, that is really interesting. So I right. think... Um, it's important to look at the the laws in their context. Now, the the Ten Commandments act like a kind of constitutional statement in a way that they are general principles, and the other laws are sort of extrapolations, applicate specific applications of the principles of the Ten Commandments okay. in specific cultural circumstances. All right, cultural circumstances that are different to ours. Uh, and that have a different measure and, and uh, you know, the, obviously, you know, very different to us. Uh, but the Ten Commandments are really the main principles. Now, they're not meant to be ex- exhaustive. Uh, the, the, this is true of the Ten Commandments and the specific applications to that cultural circumstance that are contained in the laws, all of the laws following this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not meant to be exhaustive. They, they're what we call paradigmatic, paradigmatic, which means um, that they they give kind of paradigms to uh, how you act in certain situations that act as l- sort of examples. So, for example, um, uh, you know, if it says, you know, you shall not covet your neighbour's house or your neighbour's oxen or your neighbour's... Well, but what about my neighbour's goat? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't say I shouldn't... Co- no, 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 the point is... Yeah, yeah. You know, you... So, I mean, that that's a, you know, that's a silly example. Uh, so the laws aren't covering every... Because our law, you know, the laws that we have today, mm. you know, we have law codes that cover every single, you know, kind yeah. of uh, scenario as well as the legal precedents in court cases. And mm. and so we have a body of law that pretty much covers everything. Yeah. Whereas this is not meant to do that necessarily. Mm. It's meant to give us a paradigm of what justice looks like, of what God's will look lo- looks like, and then uh, we extrapolate the rest from that. So the- yeah. can, I, can I throw a silly yeah. question right at the beginning yeah. here? And this is going to be pedantic and you're going to roll your eyes at this one. But uh, I was surprised uh, growing up to find out that people number the Ten Commandments differently. We think of the Ten Commandments and it's right there, da-da-da-da. But in different, you know, you know, the Roman Catholics will number the actual Ten Commandments. Have you ever come across that at I all? I have come across that where they yeah. split. Uh, split the last two. They, they split the last two. You shall not cover your neighbour's wife is number nine. You, you know, should cover anything of your neighbour is number ten. And they sort of lump all the things at the beginning as, as number one. I yeah. mean, there's no, no – no, again, the, the numbers, I mean, it's not like in the text he's like, right, coming in at number one. There's no – the numbers aren't important when it comes to the numbering of the laws. Um or is that a silly question? Uh, well, th- there is a literary structure to this. Uh, you shall, you shall, you shall not. You, sh- you know. Uh, so, uh, I think the number ten is important. Okay. Uh, here, I think that has uh, a kind of numeric. Uh, it mirrors numerically the uh, ten times in Genesis where it says, "And God said." Okay. Uh, so, th- so the, nu- the number ten, and even in the tabernacle, actually, the number ten, ten, this, ten, that. 
is is important. The ten plagues uh, over Egypt. So, so I, I think the number ten actually is uh, is is important there. But does he, they don't? But he doesn't list. Okay, I'm going to push back on this one now that we've gone there. But he doesn't. It doesn't list. You must ten times. You know, it doesn't yeah. use that phrase. Yeah. You know, like I, you, you I, yeah. shall or you shall not ten times. It's. So I do see well, it why. Says, yeah, it says in you know in the covenant it says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's. So it says that you shall not twice there. Yeah. But the fact is that all deals with coveting. Okay. Okay. The rest is you shall not do this. You shall not do. You know, it's it's actually. Um, and when it when it depends on you know it also depends on the translation. I understand that. What, but even with it says about the Sabbath day, and I know we'll yeah. get into this. It does does it say you must or you shall not with the Sabbath Sabbath day? Or it just says it, remember the Sabbath. Yeah, it day. It says remember the Sabbath day. Yeah, but it's it's still a it's a separate distinct commandment. Yes, it's the yes. same with um, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, and that you shall not bow down to them. Or so, yeah. it's it's the. You know the same commandment okay. there. So we're saying that there's ten principles, or like- yeah, yeah, it's it's it is. That's a good way of put it. Okay, putting it ten principles. Okay, uh, ten words. The way that it's referred to in scripture, ten words, and God spoke these words. Wow. Okay. Uh, so it, it is. So ten principles is a good way of putting it. Actually. Okay. okay. Um. Anyway, let's let's get into them, and, and uh, just, I, I think look, most. Um. Sorry for the making for the noise here. <laughs> most. Uh, scholars uh, number the commandments exactly the same yes. because there is a strong literary structure yeah. uh, here through the Ten Commandments. Well, it begins with the preamble, I, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Preambles in ancient laws are fairly standard and it states the relationship of the parties, who is who here uh, and what right have you to give me this law. Uh, well, uh, this is the Lord giving uh, the law. This isn't this this is through Moses, but this is a law. This is not a law that Moses uh, is above in any way. Mm. Uh, so, so for example, with the law of Hammurabi, Hammurabi hands down the law. Uh, the Hammurabi code is a very is a very important ancient uh, code from, uh, from ancient from ancient group? Babylonia. Yeah, okay. that uh, predates the, the Ten Commandments. But it's it's you know one of the main kind of points of comparison to the Ten Commandments. Uh, Hammurabi, and I'll be talking a bit about the Hammurabi Code as we go on and look uh, at the other laws. Um, but Hammurabi hands down the laws. He is the lawgiver. He's the one uh, that is responsible with keeping social order. Uh, it, for Hammurabi, that means keeping the castes separate as well, okay. distinguishing castes. Um, he uh, he himself, though, is not subject to the law. Mm. Uh, whereas Moses and any kings following Moses, they are subject to the law. Mm. This is a very key difference uh, here we'll with that. the Ten Commandments. I, so in that opening opening phrase there, I am the Lord your God, that Lord is in all capitals in a lot of translations. Yeah, that's Yahweh. So that's the divine name given in uh, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, so I am the Lord your God. Uh, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So I'm. what claim have I? There's a twofold claim. I am your God. I am the Lord your God. Uh, I also have just brought you out of the land of slavery, so I have redeemed you so that you are now mine. Mm. So that's the claim that God, God is making an absolute claim on his people here. So he, in the light of that, he says, first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, a question over this commandment is: Does this mean we can have other gods, but just as long as that we don't, as long as we don't put them 
before God. Yeah. So is he is this saying you can believe in other gods, but as long as I'm the most important one, as long as, long as I'm the top of the pantheon? Sure, let's go the analogy. <laughs> I, I I remember when a friend of mine first went to uh, uh, did ministry in India and and met some new believers, Hindu converts out of India, yeah. and they were struggling exactly with this law because the Hindu view of gods, well, there are millions of gods. And when they accepted Jesus Christ, they were like, oh, well, we're going to obey this law that will put him first above all the other gods. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, this is not what this means. They had to bring out what, what, you know, yeah. Well, the second commandment actually gives us some more detail on this. And also I should say that there are three levels uh, of laws um, in the, uh, in the Torah, first five books of the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, the, the first level is is the in the most general sense, and that is love the Lord your God with all. You, well, that's it begins with uh, the Lord is one. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the Leviticus from Leviticus, you shall not love your neighbour as yourself. So they are the the most general principles, and this is like a second layer to that. You know, okay. so in a sense, the first four commandments are telling us about what it means to love the Lord our God, and then the next six commandments are telling us what it means to love our neighbour. At least giving us paradigms, I should say, for what it, not covering every circumstance, but giving us paradigms for what it looks like to love our neighbour. So part of that context is the Lord is one. So um, uh, monotheism is at least strongly implied here. And and I think that becomes explicit in the second commandment. Now, the the reason why it says you shall have no other gods before me, the word God here is Elohim. And this word is often used to refer to um, spiritual beings as well. Now, the fact is, is that... Within the biblical worldview, uh, there is still acknowledged the existence of spiritual beings, angels, for example. So it often speaks about the angel of the Lord, and it's understood these are spiritual beings. So, um, uh, and, and for example, a Psalm 82 speaks about these other spiritual beings in the assembly of the Elohim, it says. Yes. So uh, it acknowledges that they're, and they're not, I mean, it's in in it translations of Psalm eighty two. It has God's in inverted commas, but it really should be translated kind of spiritual beings in that sense, uh, because there is only one God in that sense. But anyway, the word there is it's as though it's saying you shall have no other, um, you shall give allegiance to no other spiritual being above me. Okay. So there are other spiritual beings, but I am the ultimate. Yeah, in a sense, that's that's what that is is saying. That's why it says it like that. I mean, that's so a whole other area of study. Yeah, and, you know, is looking at the other yeah. spiritual beings yeah. that are that are there. And that's and that's a fairly good translation. I'm looking at the ESV here, which is probably the best, more literal translation. Yes. Uh, again, not always the easiest to read the ESV, which is why um, most people would and I read the NIV, which I think is a really good. Uh, slightly more dynamic translation, but not too dynamic, not mm-hmm. as dynamic as, for example, the New Living Translation. Mm. Uh, so I'm working with the ESV because we want to get fairly close to the text here. So we get we get to the second commandment and we have it, – it, it, it kind of flows out of the first. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven uh, that is in heaven above or on earth beneath that is uh, in the water under the earth. So – um, this is the second commandment 
you know, really needs to be understood within the framework of the first. It's expanding on the first. Um, basically, this is saying the Israelites are not to worship other gods. Uh, that's the first commandment. Therefore, they're not to make any idol of any kind. They're not to represent these other gods by earthly created forms. Now, um, also part of this command is also to prevent Israel from identifying the true God with any created thing. And I think this is where the real point of difference is between these two commandments. Whereas the first commandment is saying you shall have no other gods uh, before me or apart from me. I think uh, we can. Um, it implies that as well. The second commandment is don't make the real God into something that is not. Like don't reduce the real God into an engraven image. I love it. Yes. Yes, he says like a uh, he's not symbolised. Well, symbolised is probably not the right word, but, it, you know, don't represent him with a created creature. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Don't represent him as the sun or the moon or the yeah. – Or a cow or a – Because he transcends know, yes. every – because there's a strong propensity in the ancient world to do that. Mm. So when, for example, um, we, we're going to read about the golden calf. Yes. I mean, at the foot of the mountain, they would have thought, well, that's a natural way to represent God uh, – you know, that's what they knew. You make yeah. images of, of, of the gods, whereas this is saying, no, no, don't do that. Don't reduce God to something tangible. Now, this is really important uh, because we've taught in, well, it was actually in Thrive Perspectives that yes. we talked about <laughs> <laughs> this desire for tangible knowledge, yeah. that the atheist demand for evidence is a demand for scientific evidence, which amounts to a demand that God be a tangible object, mm. that we can actually investigate scientifically. But here's the thing. That's demanding to know on their terms, on yeah. the atheist's terms, in, in a way that can be verified through the scientific method. But see, God will not be reduced to an object that we can examine as subjects. Mm. So um, I think the I think the second commandment speaks to that. Yeah. Uh, oh, that I, I, I agree. But he goes on, and this is where uh, this is where. Um, I think some people stumble over over this choice of words, depending on what the translation, mm. where we sort of get a um, it, it now this commandment. This is the commandment that has sort of like some conditions yeah. in it, like a law that has an asterisk yeah. and goes under it, because it says he now is God now describes himself saying, "I'm a jealous God." Yeah. Now people hear that word jealous. And they immediately have negative connotations about it. Yeah, we anthropomorphize it too much, as the academic yeah. word. That, that, uh, yeah. So we we think about jealousy in human terms. Mm. Uh, now there is something actually valid about jealousy, yeah. and and I think this when it uses that idea of jealousy here, it's using it in the context of the marriage covenant. Okay, so uh, you you are bound to me and me alone. Mm. So don't so so. Idolatry is always um, depicted, or generally depicted in the throughout the Old Testament, as unfaithfulness to God, mm. uh, as in in terms of a marriage covenant. So this is picking up on that imagery, and it's almost picking up on that opening um, preamble that you said, "I have redeemed you out of out of yeah. uh, you know I've bought you out yeah. of slavery. That's right. Your mind." I'm jealous of what, right. what, I, what I've, I've paid for That's you. right. Now, it's interesting to see where this goes because he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation Woo! of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me uh, and, and keep my commandments. So um, this is not saying that God punishes the children for the sins of the fathers. Um, 
this is uh, actually um, saying that, and, and because this is connected, connected to idolatry, this is not like basically the idea here is, let me think if I can summarise this mm. simply as possible. It's so that no one can say, oh, look, the children were just taught to do that by their parents and so they're not it's not really a sin because they, they just inherited the gods. Okay. See, see, this is the thing. When you create a tangible religion and tangible idols and you put them in your household, well, your children are going to worship them as well. That's what is in view here. Okay. But God, re- is, God is actually saying here that, what, that in this scenario, yes. if you do this, you are going to actually lead your children into idolatry and God is going to hold them accountable for their idolatry, not for the sins of the parents, but you are actually going to, in a sense, lead them into yeah. temptation and to sinning for themselves for which they will be held accountable. Let me read Let me read verses 5 and 6 in the New Living Translation, which is my favourite translation to It's, it's a, the, the to best read. of the dynamic translations. Yeah, like yeah. I, I love it because I find it really easy and fast yeah. to read, yeah. uh, and it's very nice to read out loud as well. He says here, you must not bow down to worship to to them or worship them, for I, Lord your God, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. Their entire family is affected, even yeah. children in the third and fourth generations of those who have rejected me. But I lavish unfailing love for yep. thousands of generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Yeah, I think that's a nice way. Yeah, it is. It's a good. Ex- it's a good. And, and this is that. See, this is what the dynamic. Tra- now that's man. I mean, that's really dynamic. <laughs> and, and so it's adding a lot of interpretation. Yeah. This is the tricky thing about dynamic translations. But I should say, by the way, dynamic translations are different to paraphrases. Yes. Paraphrases uh, like the message are not translations. In fact, Eugene Peterson himself would say, this is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. Whereas the uh, the New Living Translation is just sort of inside that. But I do uh, I, I do like what it does there. I think it uh, adds... It captures, it tries to bring out the thought maybe behind the words a little bit more. Yeah, I, look, I, I use the New Living Translation reading the, reading the Bible to my kids and I just... It just made it easy. It meant I didn't have to explain every second thing because the <laughs> translation did that. But that's the idea. The idea is that of natural consequence. Yes. Uh, that there will be this natural consequence that, that you actually are leading your children into sin by doing this. So, you know, I think uh, you can see how that flows out of that uh, second commandment. Now, the third commandment is, uh, is an interesting one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God. Uh, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, the second part of that uh, perhaps uh, suggests that people would be likely to say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with... No, I'll not hold you guiltless if if you do this. Yeah. Now, we, we tend to think of this as the blasphemy uh, commandment. Or the, or the swearing Yeah, or the swearing. Yeah, yeah, like using God's name uh, in, in vain. And in vain. Look, look, I think... I think it covers that, but it actually is something much more serious yeah. than that. At, at the at the first level, uh, again, exp- Matt, explain to it because again, the New Living Translation says, "Do not misuse the name of the Lord." Yeah. Now, and, you know, and that term, using the name of the Lord in vain, that's such a weird sort of archaic sort of expression. Yeah. Well, the the ESV, I think, again, is a bit more literal because it actually you can draw it out like this. I mean, the NIV uh, says. 
you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Yes, so yeah. that says the same thing. Um, but it is, and, and, and this is when I get to another interpret, couple of interpret, I'll, I'll, I'll explain why the slightly more lip, literal translation is important, I think. Yes. Now, in the first case, what is, what is of concern here, I think, is using God's name under oath. I think this is concerned about perjury. Okay. At, at, at an initial level. Okay. Because, you know, I mean, we you do, perjury is like lying under oath mm, mm. In, in courts. I put my hand on the Bible. I yeah. swear by all that, you know, God's name that I'm yeah. going to tell the truth. You know, well, you're right. misusing God's yeah. name in that. Yeah, sense. that's right. Okay. So, so you know, people would, would swear by the gods, not swear using the, you know, yep. but make an oath by yes. the gods that such and such was true. And uh, this... I think at one level is saying, well, don't do that falsely. Actually, uh, don't. Could, it, could it be argued to say, don't do that at all? Um, yeah, look, I think I think Jesus kind of goes there. Yeah. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yeah. You know, do not swear. Um, yeah. I, but, but that's, I mean, Jesus is going to bring that out of yeah, this. Yeah, but he's going to, he, he is going to bring, and, and it's certainly not a contradiction to this because yes. this is just saying, just don't do that. Yeah. Uh, in a way that is non-genuine, so don't swear by uh, by the name of God, and then go go ahead and tell lies or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think perjury is is one um, is one concern for this. I think also using God's name flippantly is uh, is in view here, and this is interesting because as time goes on, in order to avoid breaking the third commandment, the Jewish people are not even going to say the name of God at all. Yeah. And so in when the pointing is added to the Hebrew text, uh, well, that, that's already 100 uh, AD around that time, time mm. of the Masoretes, they don't add the pointing to the name Yahweh, which is why we don't know. Wow. No one knows how it was said because no one said it. Yeah. And, in fact, this is reflected in, uh, in a lot of the intertestamental literature. Um, uh, I think it's even... Uh, it's even reflected in some of the earlier stuff, like books like Esther, the book of Esther, mm. which a lot of people recognise. Well, it doesn't say God is not mentioned, mm. but I think it's actually careful not to mention God. Yes. Because by that stage, there are these scruples around mentioning the name of God explicitly. So, for yes. example, in the Maccabean literature, uh, which is sort of middle of the uh, second century BC, they'll just say heaven. They'll talk about, you know, yes. uh, if heaven hears us or this. Yeah. So that's why when Matthew writes his gospel, instead of, instead of talking about the kingdom of God, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Because, see, he is being careful of Jewish scruples around using... And he's he's obeying this law. He's not misusing or using God's name in vain. Well, yeah, look, I'm, I mean, well, I think... To, again, I'm going out to the nth level Yeah, yeah I think he, he is, you know, he's kind of catering for the Jewish scruples around this. He's taking that into consideration. I think that goes too far. I think the whole idea, well, we just won't use God's name as... That's just, I think, going too far. Uh, So other New Testament books do. Okay. Um, uh, And so, anyway, so that comes out of this. Now, there's another, however, another way that we can understand this, just going from the Hebrew itself. Now, uh, a very literal translation of the Hebrew goes something like you shall not take uh, you shall not take as in take up the name 
or take upon yourself the name of the Lord your God in a way that is vain or false in some way. Wow. So this actually includes calling myself a Christian and then going out and not acting accordingly because it profanes the name of the Lord. Now, when you look at, I think one of the most important um, applications of this commandment throughout the rest of Scripture is the constant concern, uh, if we're going to let Scripture interpret Interpret Scripture, scripture, right? One of the most common concerns, and you see this, you know, for example, in Ezekiel, is always Ezekiel is always complaining about the fact that God's people profaned His name among the nations, right? Mm. Because God's people, the the role of God's people is to reflect God. Remember, to to reflect the image of God and to bring glory to God. Mm. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, mm. uh, as the formula goes, uh, wonderfully summarized there in the Westminster Catechism. So uh, the opposite to that is profaning the name of the Lord. And the way that we profane the name of the Lord is not just saying God's name flippantly. I mean, that's one way, yes, but there's a much deeper application of this, and that is actually taking upon ourselves the name of the Lord because God put his na- puts his name on his people. Mm. We call ourselves Christians, Christ followers. I am a Christ follower, everyone. I go out into the world and people are looking at me and and they are in a sense judging Christ by me. So it's like a it's like God is saying again, it's a silly way to say it, but a really dumb way to say it is like be careful you are taking you are a reflection of God's reputation. Yeah. You are that's right. You are as God has put his name on you. You're you're uh, his emissary. You yeah. are his you know people out there as much for us today than it was as, as for the Jews. That's right, you know. yeah. Because elsewhere, the script, you know, talks about God putting his name on, on his yeah. people, right? Yeah. So I think this is concerned at least partly with that. Totally. Uh, I think even ultimately, do not take upon yourself the name of God in a way that's false. Be true to that. Mm. I mean, that's a powerful application of this, and I think a very true application of this commandment. Okay, before we go on, let's take a quick break. We go, we're only up to number three here. Depending oh, sh- on- should we not go to the fourth? No, then- no okay, let's, yeah, let's yeah, take okay. a quick break now and we're going to power through. For, it's like we're count- a countdown show all of a sudden. Yeah. Tune back in for, for numbers four to ten coming up on this episode of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ here interrupting this episode of Thrive Deeper. I hope we're enjoying the uh, the countdown of the uh, Ten Commandments on this episode. Now, I just need to say a massive thank you and a big, warm, virtual hug from all of us here at Thrive because the feedback we've gotten over Thrive Perspectives, in particular the last episode on the coronavirus uh, and everything that is going around, the panic and the fear that people are facing on that, 
the the feedback we've gotten from that episode has been fantastic. The download numbers have been great, and we've been hearing a lot of great stuff about it. So such a blessing to us to hear back from you in what God is doing in your life through that episode. So make sure you're subscribed over at Thrive Perspectives. You can get the links at Thrive today.tv and while you're there have a look at everything we have to offer not only can you subscribe to the podcast you can find information about uh, Matthew Jacoby's books and our new video series but that is the place for uh, for you to send us a question and everything you need to do there that's at thrivetoday.tv some big changes coming up very soon to the website I can't wait to bring them to you Uh, But in the meantime, get a hold of us. If you need anything or you've got any questions or you're having a hard time right now in this, uh, you know, in this time when we're recording this during this quarantine lockdown time of 2020, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to encourage you to head over to our Facebook page and our Facebook groups as well. All right. That's enough from me for this. Let's get back into the episode, back to this uh, countdown of the top 10 of the Ten Commandments. And once again, thank you so much for your support of All Things Thrive. You're on Thrive Deeper, DJ Payne here, and joining me at the other end of the table, far, far away from me, is Matt Jacoby. We are powering through the Ten Commandments, uh, something that, uh, you know, no matter, you know, how you've grown up, what religion you've come from, what, you know, what background you've come from, somewhere, at some point, you've seen a Ten Commandments printed and put up on a wall or a fridge magnet somewhere. So we have just finished off. Number three, I'm guessing, Matt? Yes. Three? Yep. We're, we're yep. up to four. Up to four. So we're up to verse eight of Exodus chapter 20, and this is all about the Sabbath day. Yeah. So we're told to remember the Sabbath day. So this is an interesting break uh, in the pattern. Uh, why remember? Because this is what God did. Um, this is God rested okay. on the seventh day, and it's a rest of, in, of kind of, it's a rest of enjoyment. This becomes, however, not only a rest of well, it it, it is a it's reciprocating God's rest. Okay. So it's, I mean, I, as I quoted the uh, that statement, enjoying God and glorifying God. Yep. In a sense, it's the Sabbath is a time to rest and rest in God. So uh, it's about keeping that day holy and separate from the others. Uh, and it's interesting. Uh, I mean, the word Sabbath really comes from the word to stop. To cease, okay. uh, so stop, stop work, and rest. And this, it's interesting that this applies to uh, not just to you, but your servants still have to serve you. No, it applies to you. It applies to your servants, and it even applies to the animals. Yes, and there's even going to be a Sabbath actually for the fields. Wow! Uh, in in the law, even even makes the point. You know, foreigners living among you, everybody, basically yeah. everybody within your community, yeah. every living thing in that community, stop. Rest on the Sabbath. Now, number one question that people are going to ask us, this is for all of our beloved Seventh-day Adventist friends and people who come from different practices around this, does the Sabbath mean a particular day of the week? Yeah, okay, let me, I'll I'll get to that. Okay. I'll say just first, I know you want to power through this. I'm trying to power through. (laughs) Yeah. Remember, these guys were slaves. Yes. Their lives were oriented around production. Yep. Work. 
work. Mm. This is saying let your life orient around worship. Okay. So worship is to be the common, not not what you produce, yes. but the God you worship. Mm. That your whole life, you know, your lives are leading up to that. So that's really important here. And also, this is to apply. I think it's really this the fact that this applies to everyone. So. Uh, how does this apply uh, to us? Well, I, I think it does. The fact that it's in the Ten Commandments, I think it does apply. The question is how. Um, now, as a matter of historical uh, matter of historical facts, Christians, um, the early Christians, uh, took up the habit of meeting on the first day of the week because that was the day of the resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. and so which, they saw which that is our Sunday. Which is our Sunday. So and they saw that as such a radical change. It was like recreation. It was, you know, mm-hmm. really recreation in the resurrection of Jesus. So they started observing the Lord's Day in the early uh, Christian literature uh, from the earliest stage. So even uh, John speaks about on the, on the Lord's, Lord's Day, day. Yeah. Uh, which for them was the first day of the week, the day of Jesus' resurrection. Uh that's when they started celebrating together. Mm. Now, um, uh, of course, one of the problems when the church went uh, to all different nations and, well, this works if you've got a theocracy. Mm -hmm. In this form, this works if you've got a theocracy where – where this can be universally observed, everyone in your town, the whole town's going to shut down, we're going to shut the gates, everyone's going to rest. Um, it's a little harder uh, when you're in, the, like, for example, in the early church and, well, your employer's not going to give you the day off, is he? Uh, if you're a servant, okay. you're not going to get the day off yeah, <laughs> for yeah, that. Yeah. So, so the, the, the Sabbath principle becomes a principle about... A, a different kind of re- a different kind of rest. Now, I, I this look, and I don't think I, I think that if we can, we we should. But the fact is, is that as soon as the the church, the the movement went from a closed theocracy like ancient Israel yes. to all nations, all peoples everywhere. Yeah, it 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 gets in the New Testament then kind of um, gives this a kind of a spiritual me- meaning. So in a sense. You know, Christ is our Sabbath. I mean, for example, uh, it says in um, uh, Colossians two verse sixteen: "Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, regarding religious festival, new, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day." Okay, yeah. these are a shadow of the things that were to come. Yeah. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Yes, Paul says. Okay, okay. So you know, Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest." Okay, so. Uh, in a sense, this is a commandment to find rest in Christ. I mean, ultimately, right? I'm tr- trying to yes. say, like, bottom line, this is drawing us to entrusting our lives to Christ, find mm. our Sabbath rest in Him. Okay. okay. Bottom line. Yeah. However, I believe in observe. I, I think actually observing a day of worship like the early church did, is really important and putting that day aside, I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, Whether that's a Saturday or a Sunday? Yeah, look, I, I think it matters less that it's a particular day. I think the fact that we do it together, though, is important. And uh, historically, since the early church, the Christians have done that. 
uh, on Sunday. Now, I mean, the, the, the um, Seventh-day Adventists say, no, no, but it was the Saturday. And I get their point. I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair point. Um, I just think it would be, rather than argue about it, it'd just be better us all doing it together, whether it was Saturday or Sunday. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, in a funny sort of a way, I mean, my kind of rest day really is a Saturday because it's a pastor. You know, it's quite a busy day. Sunday's a work day, yeah. Yeah. Look, I, but I think this is a principle. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the principle is not, uh, is not about whether it's Saturday or, 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 you know, or Sunday, but about that one day in seven you know, okay. as the culmination of our week. Because we're, the point there is we're remembering what God has done and what, he's, what the, yeah. the pattern is that he set up. Yeah. Look, I, I would rather put more emphasis on the commandment than less. Yes. Than, oh, it's not really. No, no, I think we should take this yeah. seriously. I think we should recognise the universal application that ultimately this is fulfilled in Christ. We should find our rest in him. But I also think that we should be putting aside that day a week for yep. worship and connection and physical recuperation. All right. Now let's move on. Verse 12, and there's so much. I mean, we could literally do an entire episode about that commandment and the ramifications yeah, yeah, could, yeah, it has yeah. for so many different things. I mean, for crying out loud, he talks about a six-day creation in that, you know, do we take and then, you know, do we take it literally? Do it, like, there's so many things I know that is packed into those few verses there around the Sabbath day. But let's power on through. Verse 12, honour your father and your mother. Then you will live long you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Mm, it's interesting the, the, the what goes with it, that you will live a long time. I mean, because if you don't honour your parents and look after them when they get old, mm. you, like, you know, the, 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 this is actually a way of uh, creating a welfare society where the children honour the parents and look after the parents. Yes. And then, because if they do that, then their children are going to do that for them yeah. as well. You know, it's almost like it's almost like a reflection of the, uh, you know, visit, laying the sins of the parents of the children for those who reject God. If you yeah. don't reject God, you're looking after your mothers and fathers, and you've got this prosperity going on. Yeah, that's right. And a culture of, yeah. of love yeah. there. Um, now, of course, uh, Jesus said this is the first commandment that was, you know, um, you know, given with a promise. Yeah, you know that if you honour your father and mother, you're going to have a long life. Yeah, you know, live live in the land there, which was quite again quite literally true. Because if you you know if you look after your parents, you model to your children, they'll look yeah. after you. Setting up a rhythm of society that where you're going to survive old age. So, <laughs> especially especially in a in an ancient yeah, you yeah. Know, civilization and look, this like is this. built. I mean, a lot of these commandments are going to show that are actually not just about to be interpreted individualistically. Yes, yes. But this is about creating community. community. Yeah. This yeah. is a very much about creating community. And within the community, family relationships are the key mm-hmm. uh, and the children honouring parents, if that breaks down, everything breaks down. Honour. What does that mean? Because uh, I, know, I know now someone's listening going, but Matt, you don't understand. Yeah. Mum and dad... Did this to me, did that yeah. to me, da 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 da. You know, I, I don't want to honor them. I don't talk to them anymore. What how do I, I can I even obey this verse? Yeah, it's respecting them in in as much as they are your parents. It's it's giving them 
respect, you know, even if they weren't good parents, even if they, because this, this principle, I think that if you curse your parents, you're poisoning your own roots. It, like there's a, it, to, to kind of spiritualize the practical end bit, it will go well with you mm. at the end. Well, listen, if, you know, if, if you do feel wrong by your parents, then honoring them means forgiving them. It means forgiving them, and whether or not they own up yep. to, to whether they were wrong, actually forgiving them is going to allow you, allow it to go well with you. Otherwise, yes. you've just poisoned your roots. Yes, that's a, that's a great point because honouring them and forgiving them and moving on doesn't mean that you're – if you've had an abusive parent, doesn't mean that you continually stay – in no, that, cons- no, that no, right. sometimes yeah. I would even argue that honouring them for some young yeah. people is saying, I-, "I love you, I forgive you, yeah. so long." Yeah, you know, that's right. I-, I need to be a part so I can honour you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now we can go a little bit faster. We can put we the foot down faster, a little. Yeah. Uh, you must not murder. Yeah, and and murder there is the thing, and it's not just because this is a context where they practice capital punishment. So the word here actually is um, uh, is killing. F- Taking the law into your own hands and killing, okay. taking the life uh, of another person. So this, how does this? I mean, uh, okay. So uh, capital punishment's okay. I, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said this is. <laughs> you're the one that's wanting to gun through this. No, like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, the two arguments that will come up around this: you must not murder. In our minds, we think straight away of capital punishment, and we think of people who are soldiers. Or in the military. Yeah, yeah. So this is not covered. That's this. The the word is very specific here. Um, it's putting to death kind of improperly for selfish reasons without an authorization, okay. like because uh, the was it uh, the in the God's words to Noah, mm-hmm. uh, if if a man takes a man's life, then his life will be taken by man. There's that yes. principle there, um, and. Capital punishment is a part of was a part of the the law as we see in its application then. Now whether we apply that now, it's not like oh well we have to have capital punishment yes. now. No, I mean, I mean, you know, I think there's an argument to be made for not having capital punishment, but I'm not going to get into that. Yeah, because um, I haven't really formed a view about that anyway myself. Okay. Anyway, but the point is, is that that's making an allowance for that, but this is. Um, you playing judge and executioner. Yes. That's what that's, this is about. Uh, verse 14, you must not commit adultery. Of course, protecting, you know, in a society like this, if marriage relationships went down the tube, everything goes down the tube. But this is, this is um, protecting the sanctity of marriage and the family unit. Mm. So it's not just about two people. It's actually about protecting the family unit. Yeah. And quite simply, adultery is cheating on, on someone right. you're – Married to or even betrothed to in their culture, would that be like the promise of marriage was something a little bit different? I mean, because again, our concept of marriage is a little bit different to their concept of marriage. Yeah, it's it's sex outside of a committed relationship. Okay, great. Like a lifelong committed relationship because the two shall become one flesh. And what man joins together, what God joins together, let no man separate. That's the principle here. And and when you say a committed relationship, because I know, again, the pushback that we get around this is people who want to, um, you know, be uh, promiscuous. You know, I'll use that word very, you know, very 
broadly there. They will say, no, no, I'm in a committed relationship. God, you know, God sort of sees us as marriage, married anyway, man. Like we've moved, we've moved in together. God yeah. sees us as married. Classic Western individualism yeah. that, uh, coming in there because it's, life isn't just about you. Everything so th- is about community, which is a marriage ceremony is a community thing. Yep. So we we – we declare that commitment within the context of our community. Publicly. Publicly. Openly, and before yes, God. Yep. You know, so that is the context within mm-hmm. which that uh, within which the sexual relationship has um, legitimacy. Verse 15, you must not steal. That's right. You must not steal. I um, uh, this is uh, in a sense uh, giving allowance for uh legal possession, that you some things belong to you and some things belong to me. I mean, there is a strong sense in the law as we move through it of shared, of common life, uh, that certain things are shared. For example, there's a share in the land. And uh, so, a, you know, sharing is a very important, but still mm. this is legitimising the fact that you could own something. We, we can own things. Yeah. Uh, verse 16, you must not testify falsely. Against your neighbour. Yeah, this is a lot of people uh, kind of summarise this as, as you shall not lie, but yeah. that's not what it's saying. Uh, well, I mean, I think, look, I think that's there, but the problem, um, that brings up all sorts of ethical, you know, scenarios like, well, what about when the Nazis knock on the door and the, you're hiding a Jewish person? They said, are you hiring a, Jew- hiring a Jewish person? Yeah. And you think, oh, I shall not lie, so I'll, yes. I, I, you know, I'll give them up to be killed. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there's a situational thing there. Some Hang uh, on. would argue. The, 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 we're going to read about the spies that were hidden <clears throat> by, you know, you know. Yeah, that's from, right, yeah. Know, and then she lied about it, but then God blesses her and yeah. puts her in the Jesus be- line. And she lied, yeah, exactly. And, and he says yeah. it's a good way. Hang on, but she, but that's she, not what this yeah, is talking she's about. she's seen as, as having done a good thing. Yeah. That's right. So but is she, uh, that's but Rahab. Is she, yeah, right. But, is but she's she t- not breaking this commandment okay. because this says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. So this is concerned with court cases yes. at a primary level. Uh, it is, but the the application, however, clearly is broader than that because it doesn't talk about just court cases. Yeah. yeah, that's I think the primary where a lot of damage will be done is if you say he did this and he didn't do this, or he didn't do that and he did. Let, can I bring it home? Can I be? Can I yep. bring it home here? And really, this is going to be a, a, a it might be a kick in the guts for some people. And if it is, I think I'm going to agree with where you're going. Let here, let, let it yep. be a kick in the guts. I think this is about gossip. Yep. I think I think one of the greatest sins that we indulge yep. ourselves as as Christians as churches is testifying falsely against our yep. neighbours in the sense of praying for yep. people and actually we're gossiping we're straight up gossiping and that's breaking I think this is breaking that commandment yeah if 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 we this is repre- representing other people well misrepresenting other yep. people yeah. Like when, whenever you talk about another person, you are representing them in some way. Now, there's something sacred there. Mm. How are you representing that person to this other person? Mm. Now, one of the key ways in which we take revenge is to is to represent people in the darkest possible light, mm. uh, and that is a misrepresentation. Even if it's just focusing on someone's on on the the bad side, yeah. uh, even that is a misrepresentation. This is a really um, incisive commandment, I think, yeah. and and it totally, 
I think has gossiping in view. And and the other th- the other application for me, and I'm talking personally for me. Yeah. This is an application that I've walked away reading rereading this again a couple times over the last couple of weeks. Is we have a tendency in today's culture, and I don't want to get political here, but keep that in the back of your mind. Where I've never seen so many pundits, commentators, everyday people talking about someone and saying, "Well, you know that." And fill in your enemy's name oh, here. Yeah, yeah. Fill in your en- your preconceived enemies here. No, Bill. You know, Mister Blogs. I've never known this person. Obviously, is an evil, yeah, racist, narcissist. Uh, blah 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 blah. Fill in all the yeah. things around them. Now, has that person said anything like that? Well, no. But I just know. I can. I just can tell because yeah. I. And I'm like, wow! Um, and I'm guilty. Yeah. I'm guilty of this all the yeah. time. Yeah, that's right. This, that's what. That's what this. That's, the, what, that's <laughs> what that's talking about. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Let me wait. Okay, let's move right into the next one. You must not co- covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donks, dog, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Okay, so coveting is desiring, basically. Now it doesn't just say you shall not covet, uh, because. Like we're meant to actually desire certain things. Yes. This is saying don't desire things that are not your lot, as it were, okay. that are not rightfully yours. Okay. So this is a command. So coveting is concerned with me uh, not accepting what I have, but looking at someone else and saying I want their lot rather than my lot. Oof. And, and uh, you know, again, this is related, this could be related to theft in, in a way, but it's actually deeper than that. This is about me comparing myself to other people. And, and because this is about desire. I mean, our desires determine our life. So if you look at the guy next door and he's got a big house and a fancy car, if you covet that house and that car, that is going to actually cause you to live differently mm. because you're going to start orienting your life towards perhaps earning enough money so that you can get that house and that car. It's not just about stealing that person's car. Mm. That's not just what this is. This is about orienting your life to have what that person has rather than being content with what you have yourself. But our, but our, but Matt, our whole Western culture it's all based completely built on, this, yeah. on <laughs> coveting everything that we don't have. Yeah. Look at the Joneses next door, and they've got this, and we don't have it. Yeah. You two could have it if you could get this loan or get this That's thing right. or buy this product. How most we- most uh, marketing these days is based on tempting people to break this commandment. Wow, how, how do we? I mean. I mean, this again, covet being such an old fashioned word, you've used the word desire. How do we draw the line between appreciating? Like, I could, I want, here we go, I'll give you an example. I want, in in the capacity that God has given me and blessed me with what I have, I want to stand up there to young men and young women and say, look upon what God has given me. Yeah. I want you to, to desire this as well. You know, I want you to, yeah. to desire a, a wonderful wife, family, children, and and you know, working hard and all the things that you you think are great principles in life. Yeah. I want them to desire that, and and you know, I want my children to desire that. Yeah. Where do you go? How do you? Where's the line between desiring that and then getting upset yeah. because you don't get it? Well, it depends if you objectify those things okay. or, or even it's specific because this is concerned, you know, your neighbour's wife, yes. for example, specifically that. Yep. 
or, or the, the, in a way that covets so that you become uh, dissatisfied with uh, with the wife that you have or what I said about the house or the car, the, it causes this disease of discontentment yeah. with, with what I do have. Okay. And it is, it, it, discontentment is like, is like a disease because we, particularly in our culture, I think we have no excuse for this because we have so much. This is not, this is, doesn't envisage a need where you, where you live in a house with no, you know, where you live in a hole in the ground and, yes, and yes. have nothing to eat. Uh, well, of course you're going to want more than that then. No, this envisages just uh, a kind of um, envy in a sense. That's it's, a great, I'm just going to envy, that's a envy my idea. neighbor, uh, yeah. and want what he wants when actually what I have is enough. Yeah. But I'm going to envy what he has, and often there's a lot of a lot underlying that, like you know the status symbol that the wife, in in, in terms of this, that the wife yes. and the donkey and the house, and and I guess the other kind side of, of it, is in this scenario. In one of these sense, the opposite is true, where. If you're happy for or celebrate with your neighbour for what God has given them, yeah, you've entered into that blessing. You are, yeah, being, that's right. Yeah, you're being blessed by what God has given yeah, them as right. well. Whereas if you stand to one side and be covetous, you know, yeah. be desiring and angry yeah. about what you don't have. That's right. So it's a yeah. it's a real breakdown in relationships. It, it's there, there's a lot behind this. I mean, we could do a whole episode uh, on this alone, but that's the gist of it. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Listen. We are at the end of the Ten Commandments. There's still a little bit more to go here in Chapter 20. We'll be back in two weeks to talk about that. Matt, usually you've got some beautiful pithy thing to say at the end of these uh, recordings. I've sort of cut you off from here and we just dropped the middle of, uh, you know, the drop of this. Uh, so let me ask you a question. Um, as we're reading the Ten Commandments, sometimes we have this desire, those of us who maybe are a type A personality, to have this desire of, great, I'm going to print this off as a checklist and make sure that I'm totally right on all of these things. <laughs> How do we combat that? That's not why these are given. I think we should apply these the way that Jesus applies these. I mean, when uh, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and there are certain people who says, well, you know, I'm fine with that. But Jesus says if you even hate your hate another person in your heart, you you have committed murder in your heart. If you 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 know you've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but if you even look at a woman last you've committed adultery, these are heart things. This is this is speaking to heart attitudes, and so we always need to allow these commandments to have that incisive value. Allow them to shed light on what's wrong. This is these commandments are not given to condemn us. They are given to show up where we've gone wrong. This this is diagnosis that is meant to lead towards our cure, okay? If you don't take the diagnosis seriously, you miss out on the cure. So I suggest to people, read these commandments, think about them deeply, because the more deeply you think about the diagnosis, the more you're going to benefit from the cure. Well, believe it or not, we have still a little part of chapter 20 
to get through. There's the end of chapter 20 that we need to get through. All of that, and we didn't cover one entire chapter of Exodus there, of Exodus 20. But this is a cornerstone of everything that's going to come after the after this in the Bible. These 10 commandments given to Moses on this mountain. This is a cornerstone moving forward. We're going to be understanding different parts of the Bible, especially in the New Testament and what Jesus does through the lens of these 10 commandments. Commandments. Very, very important stuff. And I love Matthew's uh, you know, point there. Something for us to concentrate on that this is a diagnosis, not a checklist, but a diagnosis. I, I love that attitude. Now, listen, we will see you in two weeks for Thrive Deeper, but don't forget to subscribe to our sister podcast, Thrive Perspectives. For Matt, Stu, and the team behind the scenes, this has been DJ Payne thanking you and hoping that you thrive. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production.